Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Break the Cycle. Me, your host, Joshua Smith. Happy Friday, folks. We made it. You, you get another weekend. Uh, don't drink yourselves to death. I hope you enjoy it and you get everything that the weekend can bring uh, awesome people. Uh, so we got a great show for you guys tonight. Like, super awesome show. Amazing show. Uh, but let's start off with some sponsors. As per the usual, we have TopLobster.com, the man, the myth, the legend, my good friend and partner on Break the Cycle, where you can get this great Epstein didn't kill himself shirt that I'm wearing tonight for 10% discount by using BTC at checkout. Or you can join my Patreon, subscribe star, or become a member of this here YouTube channel uh, for six bucks a month and get into a private Discord server where you can get uh, all of Top Lobster's gear up to two weeks before it becomes uh, available to the general public for like a 30% discount. So it really uh, it pays for itself if you're supporting BTC. And of course, executive producer of the show, AnthemPlanning.com, for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. These people are doing a wonderful job that the government has historically sucked at much cheaper and much more efficiently. Check them out today and see what they can do for your business, home, or personal life. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Guys, uh, I've had a lot of awesome shows on, on Break the Cycle. I think uh, we're actually at episode 95 today since March 3rd. Uh, so we've been, we've been pumping, out, pumping them out. We've had a lot of great guests. But I was thinking, I was like, you know what? I, 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 got, I have the capacity now to do multiple guests uh, I wasn't doing that prior, and I was like thinking and thinking and thinking. I was like, oh, who would be like the best matchup uh, to to bring on the show together? And uh, I I just kept coming back to these same two gentlemen. Uh, the first one is, of course, uh, the man behind the Tenth Amendment Center. He is Mr. Michael Bolden, sir. How are you doing tonight? Great. I was surprised. Uh, I was surprised to be called first. Hi. <laughs> you just happen to be first in the queue, man. That's all. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's alphabetical. Yeah. And of course, uh, this man needs no introduction. He's from the Libertarian Institute and antiwar.com. He is Mr. Scott Horton. How you doing tonight, sir? Boys. <laughs> Boys. So uh, I really appreciate you guys both taking a, a Friday evening to come hang out with me. Uh, I, I, oh, yeah. I was surprised that Bolden can make it, to be honest with you. He's so busy all the time. I actually couldn't. <laughs> Listen, I want to thank you, Josh, for reconnecting me with my friend Michael Bolden, who I don't get to hang out with nearly often enough at all. And hangs with Never Michael Bolden enough. is like the best, too. I mean, he's just always yeah, so... Michael Bolden rules. He's always so happy and uplifting, and he makes you feel good about yourself. And he's really smart, too, you know? A lot of pressure here today, guys. A lot of pressure here. This has to be the best episode in history. Of, of all time. Of all time. I'm taking it real easy, man. I've done a lot of interviews today. <laughs> I've been interviewed a lot no of times. Calls I've me interviewed anymore. a lot of other people, too. And so you guys go ahead. How and many, I'm just going to sit here and drink Scott, how many shows are you pumping out a week right now? Oh, I don't know. I mean, today I did four interviews, and I was interviewed <laughs> twice, I guess. <laughs> oh, and it was supposed to be more, but I was interviewing a guy from Kabul, this great reporter named Andrew Quilty, this Australian reporter, but it fell through, and I couldn't reach the guy. Oh man, that's like so I that's came up short for you. Yeah, but I, I got four new ones. Today. I, I thought I was doing a lot by doing five <laughs> shows a week, man. And, and Scott's over here doing five shows a day. <laughs> I'm a lazy bum. I do three shows a week and no interviews. <laughs> well, one, so four total this week. Interviews, interviews are easy. I just bring smart people on like you guys and let you, let you go. You know what I mean? That's the I actually stuff. say no to about nine out of ten interview requests. Really? Yes. 
Wow. Well, that makes me feel really good about myself. Well, it was years ago that I found, and I used to do, I, I've been like, I had a link at like the homepage of the New York Times some years ago. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, all these people who like would normally hate me, they're going to see this link and maybe I'll get a trickle of people coming in. But at some point I realized the articles that Lou Rockwell of mine would run on his site, I would get like five times the traffic of getting linked from the NYT or the LA Times or something like that. So at some point, I realized I just I'm going to be smart about who I'm talking with and use the rest of my day for other stuff. But not saying that you guys doing interviews is a bad thing. But for me, I only want to talk to the best of the best. Well, sure. And then when you talk to me and like, you, yep. you probably end up in the ADL, yep. the ADL anyways, you know, every time you have a conversation <laughs> with me. <laughs> so I'm trying to cast the broadest net possible as far as who I'd like to talk to. Not that I have a large audience or do a very good job of that. But if I have a chance to be interviewed by. Yeah any off-the-wall radio station wherever it is or any host wherever they are and i think of that as opportunity to you know hopefully tell people some things that they hadn't heard for the first time and make them you know a lot of times what i get from people is hey that's right i think <laughs> you know yeah so they kind of never heard it put that way before but that actually does jive pretty well with a couple of things they know and that so you know, that's my uh, one of my, I, one of my favorite Scott Horton stories is when you got to get that that quick uh, snippet on the phone on the radio station during rush hour traffic. That's st oh, yeah. still. Oh, one of my oh yeah. That was the first time I ever called the radio station. I told you that. huh? <laughs> yeah. You said that on my on my show and then I clipped it and, and, and shared it all over. You. It was it was pretty fast funny. fact here. I think one of my first five ever interviews as a political activist was on the Scott Horton show. Oh, wow. Well, that's probably right. Yeah, it was one of my first ones ever. I was pretty, I was pretty raw at the point, but uh, I'm very was very in the work that you do, man. I wish I had more time to pay attention. I, I do check your website uh, relatively frequently. I try to poach you and Mike Meharry's articles from time to time. <laughs> to run the really Good appreciate that. No, that's awesome. I mean, but that's part of how we get the word out. Everybody's kind of working in a different niche, and if we're talking about empire. Like we don't do as much direct work on war and empire as places like at antiwar.com. But it, I take this view and I started out as kind of hard leftist. I was out marching in the streets with the uh, answer coalition back, you know, first day of the Iraq war starting in 2003 before I kind of, yeah, I mean, I'm still anti-war, but it's just, I got disillusioned in that realm because I recognized over a few years that when they were they weren't really anti-war what they were saying is spend less money on war so we can spend more on these other welfare programs at home and i started thinking like man there's got to be something else i can do and when i got into this whole 10th amendment thing my thought process was still leading with war as the biggest problem i got, come from like the james madison school where he said war is the greatest threat to the public liberty because it leads to armies and debts and taxes and that's the known instruments for putting the many under the domination of the few so my 10th amendment work really if you start with that foundation of war i recognize that any way that you can chip away at the empire whether it's domestically or in foreign policy you're weakening their ability to dominate people around the globe so and maybe in a small way but short version thanks for poaching stuff scott that's awesome yeah, no, look, you guys are great. And no, I mean, hey, you can't if well, the reason we can't have a federal republic is because we have an empire. Right. But yep. then also so it could, you know, hopefully I, I think I see what you're saying cut the other way that if we could turn what our what we have now as an empire into a republic, then it couldn't maintain 
this global reach and this state of perpetual violence around the world. And so, you know, you got the solution to my problem, basically is what I'm saying. Maybe, maybe. It's not a fast one, though. There's a reason why I brought you both on. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's like one of you guys has the greatest ideas and the other guy is like the, you know, you, you have these logical legislative uh, ideas. It's just, it's like a match made in heaven. Really? You guys are like the Legion of Doom. You're the, you're, you're the road. We can also, so today in history, September 3rd, uh, 3rd, 1783 was the Treaty of Paris officially ending uh, the war between these American states and Great Britain. That was signed wow. by Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, John Jay. And I've been doing some research on some of the letters that these guys wrote afterwards. And it's fascinating to see something like Benjamin Franklin on September 11th, 1783 barely a week after he signed this peace treaty he literally sends a, a letter oh, september 11th never forget he says you know he's so excited writing to josiah quincy and he says you know there's never been a good war or a bad peace so even though he was on board saying that the war was just fighting to to uh, separate from the empire, but even in that situation, he's like, there's never a bad peace. And I think that's a mentality that we don't really take uh, often enough that there's always people whenever there's somebody making a move towards peace, they're always going to be complaints. Oh, this is bad policy. Oh, you're just trying to arm your enemies, all this garbage that we've been hearing. And obviously Scott's going to know more about that stuff than me, but this is something that's happened all through history. Sure, yeah. sure. Well, and you know, I mean, look, the American Republic, according to Madison, depends on a state of peace. You can't have liberty yes. and a state of permanent war. And nobody really thinks that you can, you know what I mean? A lot of people who push that bullshit, but, um, you know, the, the constitution presupposes peace, but then, you know, I'm sure you guys are familiar with this. It's just so happened I was driving the other day and on my phone, I have a lot of George Carlin. I like to listen to it while I'm flying around and stuff. Nice. And uh, so I have my phone on random and it plays the very beginning of Brain Droppings, his book, and it's the audio book read by George himself. And it begins with him reading that Goebbels quote about how easy it is to get people to support war by telling them about the terrible foreign threat and then if anybody knows better and complains, then you just accuse them of putting the country in danger and all of this stuff. And, and then it's Carlin reading it. And he's like, that's from it's not Goebbels is uh, Herman Goering at Nuremberg. And that's how brain that's dropping a, begins. That's the same and, thing. It's been but through it's history. So right. And that's the that's really the history of America right there is, oh, no, an enemy. And people love that shit. It's good for votes, you know. And since you it's brought up James votes. Madison. He specifically said the same thing. I'm not sure Madison was wearing a tinfoil hat, but as they were whipping up, and we don't have to get into the details of history, but in 1798, there was a lot of war fervor against the French. And he's writing to James Madison in May of 1798, literally weeks before they passed the Alien and Sedition Acts, which criminalized putting anyone in the federal government other than Thomas Jefferson into what they called ill repute. And Madison is writing to Jefferson. He said, perhaps it's a universal truth. And I'm probably butchering this paraphrase that the loss of liberty at home is to be charged against danger. And he said, real or pretended 
from abroad. So there's always been a fear component. And we can see, obviously, we're ramping up towards 20 years of the so-called war on terror. This is all based on fear. This is just an expansion of, of power, more centralization of power, more death and destruction, the trillions of dollars that they're spending, all the surveillance, the TSA, the Real ID Act, facial recognition, all this stuff has come from fear. And of course, it was just for the terrorists, just like the uh, income tax was just going to be a temporary wartime measure on the richest of the rich. But are you saying that the, know that the Patriot Act is not going to go away now that the Afghanistan uh, war is Actually, over? <laughs> you know, a lot of people think the Patriot Act uh, sunsets and there are provisions in it. We generally talk about Section 215, the CDR called Detail Records Program uh, and the Business Records Program. They're only about 10 percent of the Patriot Act actually sunsets and they keep renewing it. About 90 percent of it is permanent. And that 90 percent is all unconstitutional, unconstitutional, immoral garbage as well. Like they redefined domestic terrorist as anyone who violates any state or federal law that puts life at risk and is intended to to influence government policy. And I was going through this on a podcast a few days ago thinking like, oh shit, man, I have been advocating that people go out there and nullify marijuana laws all along. There's going to be some government person who says that smoking weed is going to kill people. I mean, they've been saying that for ages and that's a goal to influence and change government policy and it's violating a federal law. So something as innocuous as that, even though they're not using it in that way today, don't be surprised when some nut job in the future reads that text and says, oh, well, this is all domestic terrorism. I mean, uh, just the TSA itself, of course, we were told just that was just for the terrorists out of 9-11. Now we've got the clear fast pass program. And now clear is being partnered with open table to do vaccine checks at restaurants. Oh Did anyone God, think that, that maybe uh, creating the fucking TSA in 2001 was going to lead to vaccine passport checks at restaurants? restaurants in 2021 but it's kind of a domino effect every power you give them to do something you like today as the late great harry brown would say is always going to be used by someone else against you in the future yeah absolutely go ahead scott i was just gonna say i'm glad it's the democrats behind this vaccine passport (laughs) crap right now because then that means the reaction against it is right-wing reaction against police state activity right rather than having them for like hey boy i says in the bible you got to render unto caesar and that means when republicans are in power you obey and shut up and i would much rather have them on the anti-government side this time yeah Um, this whole thing has been great for red pilling uh conservatives on the police state yeah, and really? I, maybe only because this is just how desperate I am to believe that there's some kind of semblance of of like reserve kind of belief in liberty in this society that I think there's going to be a major right-wing reaction against the lockdowns, against the passports and all this stuff. And I think, you know, Trump, as muddled as his message was, you know, he spent half the time last summer going, well, I'm the leader of the lockdowns. And yeah, great, Donald. But still, the overall, people said, well, why did Donald Trump do better among blacks and Hispanics after four years of TV telling everybody what a white supremacist he was? And it's because the Republicans were less bad on the lockdowns. And nobody would mm-hmm. say that. You know what I mean? But that was clearly what it was. I got, you know, lots of friends of mine are just regular working guys 
um, not political people. And they're like, man, I'm voting Republican. I got work to do. This shit's crazy. You know, that's how they took it last year. So, uh, and I mean, look at what's going on in Australia, right? Like, it must be the case that severely anti-lockdown reactionaries are going to run and win for parliament there and for mayor and for governor and for whatever and throw people out of power based on this. They're not going to just... I mean, that's the thing, right? They're implementing a totalitarian state, but they still have democratic elections. So what are you going to do? Are the people going to take this or are they going to get rid of this? And I got to say, like, I know the ratchet effect. I know we're not getting rid of the TSA. But we are getting rid of the TSA at restaurants. Like, no, God damn it. That, there's just no way. It's a fucking step too far. And implement in our society. Right, everybody? Step too far, dude. Trying to, trying to shake me down and pat me down when I'm just trying to get some fried chicken. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't want to get you guys banned or anything, but I remember back in the day, Alex Jones telling us they're going to put the TSA everywhere. And I was like, man, okay, right. Like, that's never going to happen. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, (laughs) but if you think about it, I think in a in a way and the more that I study history, the more that I start thinking. You really have to pay attention to the precedent. Anytime you give them power to do something, you got to think, what's someone going to do in 50 years? Some authoritarian pig, what can they do with this power? John Dickinson is a guy they called the penman of the revolution. He wrote this series of papers against the hated Townsend Acts of 1767 called Letters from a Farmer in Pennsylvania. They were the most read documents on American liberty to the publication of Thomas Paine's common sense in january of 1776 and in one of those papers he asked who are a free people this is an important question what makes people free is it just because their government happens to be doing things that don't violate their rights he's like no 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 as long as they have the ability to do so as long as they have a precedent on the books that says they can do stuff or that is going to be misinterpreted or expanded you've lost your freedom at that moment so we have to start thinking about things like that more and more rather than well you know maybe it's okay to let them have more power more centralized power because i like the results in the short term and i think most people have been very short-sighted in regards to thinking that's not a sign of high intelligence i guess true true i uh, i i i everyone look out for my ebook coming out soon alex jones was right about everything uh Scott, that one pissed Scott I mean, off. I knew it was gonna piss Scott off. I, I, I set up for. I, I said last night that I was gonna write. A, I was also gonna put out an ebook that Scott Horton is wrong about uh, Nick, Nick Sarwark. But but we won't get into that. That would be fun. I was supposed to write about everything 1995 through 1997. Well, back in the Waco days, right? For sure, he was definitely right about Waco. I mean, mostly Scott. Scott's very right about Waco too. We had that good conversation last no, night. Listen, no. I tell you the truth, man. He did heroic work in sticking up for the Branch Davidians in the yep. 1990s when nobody gave a shit about those people, and he did, and he made other people care about them too, and he led the effort to rebuild their church and all that. And I'll always be grateful for that, dude. That's he had that wake up or Waco thing, didn't he? Did he do a film? Yeah, one of his. Yeah. Yep. So and it, I mean, he he led an effort because he had a radio show in Austin. He led the effort to get people together, including a bunch of like you know legitimate construction contractors come together and rebuild their church for them yeah uh, which still stands to this day which i helped to participate in not that i'm taking any credit for it but i'm just proud that i got to swing a little bit of a hammer and part as part of that you know but 
Okay. Uh, that was a big deal. So now that we're 20 minutes into the show and you guys have just knocked it out, I mean, it's really your show now. It's not my show anymore. I, I'm just moderating the chat at this point. Uh, but I, I did want to talk about a little bit about Afghanistan and the pullout here. Of course, I, I want to get Scott's uh, uh, thoughts on you know this pullout. What you think? Do you think that it was done wrong? I mean, obviously, it should have been done 20 years ago, but do you think it was done wrong? Uh, do you think that there was any kind of ulterior motives behind it and stuff like that? Yeah, yes, it was done wrong and ulterior motives, not exactly in the sense I see people on Twitter say, well, the military did this on purpose because, you know, they want to discredit withdrawal. They wanted to, you know, make it seem so bad that they can come back. Some, I really don't think that's right. I mean, honestly, I think that it was a government program and just like the mm -hmm. entire war has been a catastrophe. It would have been a miracle if somehow the withdrawal had gone off. Correct. And look at who we're talking about. We're talking about Joe Biden. We're talking about the Democrats and we're talking about the Pentagon. I mean, these people are all losers, you know, to, to, as our former president would put it. Um, and so, you know, here's here's why it went wrong. Um, they should have stuck with the deadline. They had a deadline to be out by May 1st. And if Joe Biden had come in and said, listen, General, you and you and you go to hell, your job is out by May 1st, and if you don't like it, you can, you know, head out right out the doors right there. And I'll replace you with somebody else who will do the job. And then that's it. And then we would have had that decent interval, right, as they called it in Vietnam, where we get to get out, and then the government that we propped up falls later. In the case of South Vietnam, it took two years. In the case, you know, a year and a half, some two years. In this case, it took just a few weeks. But the thing is, when Biden kicked the can down the road from May 1st, under pressure from the generals who were trying to get him to delay and cancel the withdrawal altogether, he, when he kicked the can down the road, the Taliban didn't. They went ahead and launched their offensive on their same timetable, not against the Americans, but against the Afghan National Army and to take over the country. And, um, you know, at that point, the Americans weren't flying B-52 missions against them anymore or anything like that. The air, the air war against them was over. The, the Americans are completely drawing down. So they took over the country while the Americans are still there. And this caused two major problems. One, they get to seize all the equipment that the Americans left for the Iraqi army, weapons and trucks mostly, right? Light arms and trucks and some artillery and a few helicopters, not too many. Four Apache, uh, four, four Black Hawk helicopters, and they can't even bury it. They're going to be down within six months. They'll be down. <laughs> yeah, I mean... And, and look, I mean, the reason the Americans gave them Blackhawks is because they'd be dependent on us to that'd be an excuse to stay. Oh, we can't leave because who can maintain the Blackhawks sure. except us, which they tried that in the last few weeks. That was one of their arguments that they used. But that's why they gave them Blackhawks in the first place. At other times, they would have I, I write about this in the book. They had the Indians buy hind helicopters from the Russians because we have sanctions on the Russians. They had the Indians buy helicopters from the Russians to give to the Kabul government for us. Um, which are a lot simpler machines, a lot easier to maintain. The kind of Anyways, um, so the, ta the Taliban, they just come and they just start taking over provincial capitals. They take over Kunduz and Mazari Sharif up in the north of the country. So they've got, you know, head them off at the pass kind of thing. So the Northern Alliance has no north to ally in. And um, then they just start walking right into provincial capitals and military bases. And they've owned the countryside you know, like 85% of the country or something for years. Right. And especially, you know, in the nighttime, they rule everything. Sure. Um, 
but uh, they hadn't seized the provincial capitals because that's how to get bombed by B-1 bomber, right? So, but now they just started seizing the provincial capitals and they just started falling with ease. And they started walking into military bases and they were very smart. They said, lay down your arms and go home. So instead of executing soldiers or locking them in jail, they said, you guys are good guys. Go ahead and go home. No hard feelings. Just leave your rifle here. And by playing at that, and they did murder some commanders and that kind of thing, but that was how they treated the regular army. And by playing it that way, they made it very easy politically to go into district after district, call the oldest chief or warlord and say, look, we're the Taliban. We're here. You can join us or die. Do what we say and it will make it easy on you. And then they go on to the next one. And they essentially, it's what the French call a coup de main, where it's one big surprise attack and then you just win. That's it. And, you know, at, with, I guess it's sort of implied there are minimal levels of violence, but not necessarily. I guess it could be a blitzkrieg type thing would be a coup de main too. But it's just one big move and take over everything. And they did all that with the Americans there. And they're, so they're just, the Americans have the humiliation of having all this happen while they're still there and while they have American civilians who are, you know, could be left behind. And in fact, they did leave people behind. They left a day early and with, you know, more than a hundred people left behind, including the people from Voice of America Radio or Radio Free Liberty or whatever they call it now. Um, And, uh, and, you know, a, a few hundred people got left behind but they had till the end of the 31st and they still, they, they bugged out a day early with people left there. Um, also, I know a guy who um, is an army officer who told me in mid July that they were preparing to go back and reseize the uh, Bagram air base, not to restart the war, but just for the evacuation. They were going to send in a few thousand paratroopers to seize the base. And for this fall of Saigon moment, they realized it's coming sooner than later. And we got to get everybody out. But they didn't do it. They dragged ass on that for another month. And by the time it was time to go, the the Taliban were already crawling all around where Bagram is. Um, And then not very long after that, the ANA handed the base right over to them. Of course. So they couldn't go to Bagram. So all they had was the airport with one airstrip in on the north side of town which put them in the position where they're completely dependent on the taliban for security and, and they did have a deal with the taliban the taliban did keep the deal they kept their ceasefire with our guys it wasn't like isis where they took over iraq and west in western iraq in 2014 and just started killing everybody machine gunning people on the side of the street and throwing gay people off the roof and all this crazy shit. it wasn't like that they just came in and took over the thing they respected their deal with the Americans. And they were always then, going to take over. I mean, that's what that's what I try to explain to people. People are like, oh, well, we right. needed to stay. We need because, you know, Taliban took over. It was like the Taliban was always going to take over. Always. Yeah, that's well, just an yeah, argument to stay years, forever. Yeah, we tried. We spent 20 years trying to keep them from taking over. And then now we decided to stop trying to keep them from taking over. And they took over. Overnight. Right? That's all it was. Like where you got your 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 finger in the dike holding the flood back. But as soon as you move it, that's it. And 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 we have known that. That was how it was going to be. As I said, they wouldn't seize the provincial capitals because the Air Force would carpet bomb them. Right. Right. So they had to stay a guerrilla movement rather than an official government. They had to stay a shadow government and an insurgency rather than become a state. But at this point, as soon as the Americans are out of the way, 
They snapped their fingers and they are a state. It took them. We saw it. It, it was, took three weeks. It, it, I mean, it was and they took over the whole country. They were back in overnight. I mean, it was literally overnight. Yeah. They were back in. And and yep, and absolutely. and I, you know, I have some great neighbors who are like, well, what? you know, I feel bad because, you know, they're, they're taking over. And it was like they were no matter when we left, we could have left a year later, five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, 40 years later. The Taliban was always going to come back and take over, you know, the, the, and the think about it this way. What about I feel so bad that the Americans took over, right? The Americans are from the middle part of North America on the other side of the planet. Right. They they let the bad guys who are a bunch of Arabs who are not even Afghans and not from there at all, let them get away in December 2001 and waged a 20 year war against some of the people of Afghanistan ever since then. Sure. Not in the name of revenge for 9-11, but in the name of helping them and protecting them from their own fathers and brothers and nephews and cousins who would dare to resist us and killed hundreds of thousands of them. You're mad that the people who are from there finally made the foreign occupying army leave. That makes you sad. Like, (laughs) were you sad when the Russians left in 89? Right. You know, we got no right to do this to these people. man. I think I might've told you this one, Josh, where Frank Ledwidge, who's this British, uh, uh, naval intelligence officer was stationed in the Helmand province and a local asked him, what are you guys even doing here? You know? Right. And he says, well, kind of hard to explain, but back about 15 years ago, some Arabs crashed some planes into some buildings in a village called New York <laughs> in a valley far away from here. And wow. then the guy from the Helmand province says, well, what the hell does that have to do with me? Right. Wow. And Frank says, nothing, <laughs> you know, sorry. Wow. But, that but, says know, so much right there. Yeah. Listen, a valley, a, a village called New York, because he doesn't know what a city is. You can't tell him a city yeah. called New York because he doesn't know what that is. Yeah. And then in a valley far away from here, because he's never heard of the new world, much less New York City, the most important city, at least in the new world, if not in the world, for the last at least two-thirds of a century or something, right? Right. Or more. He's never heard of it. That's wild. A village called New York in a valley far from here. But look, we're not here to kill you and punish you and hate you for being sort of Bin Laden adjacent in space and time. (laughs) No, no, no. That's not what it is. We're here to help you build a democracy. We're here to help you fight your brother who's part of the insurgency. Right. You know, we're here to win your heart and mind and build a new government for you at your expense. And that government I mean, just that would have become despotic anyways. And, and eventually we'd yeah. have to go back in and take that government out. And that's just how we do it in the Middle East, man. That's that's whole the thing is crazy, man. It's, and look, after, for people who ain't familiar with this, these are the basic facts. And this is part of why I was good on this from the very, very, very beginning. Um, in terms of even America's ability, never mind morally speaking, but just America's ability to take over this country and pacify these people is that it's the size of Texas. And the reason there's all those cliches about how big Texas is, is because Texas is huge. If you stacked another Texas on top of Texas, you'd be at the Canadian border. Right. Okay. If, If you travel from the middle of Texas to El Paso in the West, then you are halfway to the Pacific Ocean. 
That's from the middle of Texas, not from the east side of it. Right. From the middle of Texas to the west side of Texas is halfway, not just to L.A., but to the west side of L.A., right? That's how fucking big Texas is. Well, that's how big Afghanistan is. And it's landlocked, not just behind Pakistan and Iran, but behind mountains. So you want to get anything in there, you got to go up through a, this giant highway hundreds of miles up to the Khyber Pass from the port of Karachi at the expense where gasoline, by the time you get it to a soldier at a fire base way out in Helmand province somewhere, you're paying a thousand dollars a gallon or 10,000 or some ungodly amount of money for, you know, the most basic type things, you know, just make the whole thing. And it's mountains like Colorado and deserts like California and essentially like wild Indians with rifles. Right. You know, a, a tribal warrior society that they don't mind fighting if they got to. And you know what? There may be people in the world who would be pacifistic if invaded and conquered by Americans. You know, once the emperor of Japan told his people to lay down their arms and not be an insurgency, they obeyed him and they got along. That, I don't know how the hell they pulled that off. But the Pashtuns, they're not going to play that game. They're just not. And the Colonel Trotman says it in Rambo three. If you knew your history, you knew you would know these people never given in to an invading army. Right. It's as simple as that. You know, yeah. knew that I mean, would Texans, I mean, that's, that's, the, I mean, Texans sure as, sure as hell wouldn't supposedly. Of course. I mean, not. we shouldn't, of course we shouldn't expect, and I don't think anyone here would think that, but I think a lot of the general population believes this kind of this crock that we're going in there to protect them and they're going to welcome us that that was you know that was the message in iraq they're going to welcome us with open arms instead they gave us the old thumbs up and isn't that really a middle finger in the in the middle east yeah and you know frank led which also told me there's this great um reporter that i used to talk to a lot um back about 10 years ago during the surge named gene mckenzie who spent a bunch of time there and she was friends with frank ledwidge over there and was talking to him and she explained to him, you see that castle up there on that ridge? And he's like, yeah. She's like, that's where the British had their fort back in <laughs> 1870, whatever it was. And where the locals around here killed every last Brit. And it's their Alamo. Like it's a, something that they celebrate. It's their famous, you know, thing that time that the British tried to come and rule over them and they killed all y'all. And now here you Brits are, running around in the Helmand province causing chaos and you don't realize that you might as well be in Northern Ireland right now. Like these people hate your guts. She says the only place you'd be less welcome would be in the London dairy in Northern Ireland. Oh shit. Okay. These of all the people in the world who hate the Brits, these are the ones who hate you the most. Oh what in the world is David Petraeus thinking putting you here? You know, and the answer is Dave Petraeus isn't thinking about anything except himself. There's a simple answer to that. But but if you ask, could that work? Could the British, you know, well, could the Mexicans implement a counterinsurgency strategy against the Anglos of San Antonio? Do you think, you know, right now, the, the Mexican army, I mean? Probably not. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, they could not. Remember the Alamo, man, says every AR toting white guy for 500 square miles around. Are you kidding me? It would never work in a million years. Why would it work there? So, 
okay, so we talked we talked some about Afghanistan. Let's talk about the, the defend the guard legislation that uh, yeah. a lot of people have heard about. Bol- Boltron, you had something to do with that, right? Yeah, I wrote the bill. <laughs> you, you did a couple things there. What was that all about, man? Well, it was originally actually put out by some Green Party people back in the day, and it was uh, originally a guard the guard bill. And this is a bill that basically is kind of reinstating Article 1, Section 8, Clause 15 and 16 of the Constitution, saying that they can only call forth the militia, which has been organized as the National Guard for three very specific purposes, to execute laws of the Union, to suppress insurrections, and to repel invasions, not to kind of prevent maybe someone might be invading or attacking, but to actually repel an active invasion, none of which has been happening for quite a long time. And so the defend the guard the guard act was kind of saying, well you're not allowed to use n- guard troops from our state in foreign occupation that violates like a UN treaty or something. And I'm thinking, you know, there's got to be something a little bit better to this. And Cindy Sheehan actually was going around the country trying to get this passed uh, along with some Green Party people. It had moved forward in places like Wisconsin and Oregon of years ago. And so I did a little bit of rework, gave it kind of a 10th Amendment Center approach, focusing on the constitutional provisions. And a few people like Pat McGeehan in West Virginia, Delegate Pat McGeehan, who's really been leading the charge on this way more than we ever had, uh, and really been pushing forward to get this thing moving. And it says, if it's passed, the state literally would say, we're not going to allow you to use our guard troops. And that may seem like a small thing, but I think it was military.com a few years ago had a report that said it was up to about 45% of the total force that had been sent to Iraq and Afghanistan was from the guard, guard and reserve. And they had about 18 to 20% of the casualties. So they played a pretty significant role. And if we think about the empire as being this kind of an insurmountable thing to defeat, this is a way that we can actually chip away at some of the resources that they're using to occupy foreign countries. Go to the states and say, you're not allowed to use our troops. Now, that's going to be a very difficult thing to actually pull off in West Virginia, which has had the kind of the most impact on this. The furthest it's gotten was passed to the floor of the state house a couple of years ago, and then they got a threat to get thrown on the BRAC list. This is the base realignment and closure list. Basically, what the government, the Pentagon would do is if a state gets too uppity, they're going to tell that state, well, we're just going to shut down all the bases. You're going to lose all your jobs, and then you're going to look bad in a difficult economy. And that's what they did under pressure in West Virginia. But sooner or later, People are going to have to get sick of what's happening and basically demand that we no longer participate, even in the face of those types of things. But I think it's important to lay the groundwork on it. There's, of course, uh, bringourtroopshome.us, which is really kind of leading the multi-state effort to get these bills introduced in, I think it was in this last year, somewhere around 20 states. So they're building the foundation. They're building a grassroots effort. That's Dan Mc. Night, and I know Scott has talked to him at least once, if not multiple times, oh, yeah, about these efforts as well. <laughs> he interviewed him today. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude is doing amazing work. Yeah. So listen, yeah, he uh it's it's uh bring our troops home.us and also defend the guard.us uh is the site. And it's all like you know, Ron Paul leaning Republicans and libertarians 
um, all combat veterans, at least the leaders are all combat veterans of this era, you know, the 21st century wars. So Veterans for Peace is a lot more liberal and is a lot more like founded by Vietnam veterans in the 80s kind of thing. And they got a dove and a peace sign and all this kind of thing. And um, these guys don't have that baggage at all. And I have to is IVAW you, involved with them at all? Iraq veterans um, against war? I don't know about, you know, what all um, groups they're working with on the in the coalitions and all that. I should have asked more about that. That's the one that uh, Kokesh was a big part of, right? The Iraq veterans. Against IVAW, yeah, yeah, it's called About Face now. Right. Um, uh, veterans against the war. And, um, and now and, Kokesh and is out here uh, bringing, bringing PTSD vets out to the forest to give them uh, DMT. That's his new thing. He's got, no, yeah, he's, he's got, a, that's great. He's actually got that's this, awesome. he's got this pretty cool thing that he's doing for uh PTSD vets where he's, they're that's like, they're amazing. like retreats, like retreats in the forest and, uh -huh. or out in the desert or whatever. And it actually sounds really cool, man. I, I hope he uh, is very yeah. successful, but yeah, I, I, you know, you got to fix that, that, uh, that terrible shit somehow, I guess it's, uh, it's yeah, not. And listen, I mean, I, I knew a guy back when I hadn't heard from this guy in a while, but, um, Brian, almost certain was his name. Um, and he was kicking doors in Iraq. He pretty ugly fighting in, you know, against the Sunni insurgency doing, you know, random house sweeps and all this crazy shit in Iraq war two. <laughs> and he said he had real shell shock problems for a long time. And then what helped him was he finally admitted that the reason he was having such a tough time was because what he did was wrong. He'd been caught up in believing that he was supposed to believe the president. He was supposed to believe the narrative and he was supposed to do the right thing by fighting against the terrorists and this and that. And then, but when he recognized and finally was able to admit to himself that the reason that he was so uncomfortable with it all is because it was bullshit, man. It was bullshit and he shouldn't yeah. have done it. And he was a damn fool for trust in Bush, but that's what he gets. And that is what it is. And then uh, that it was like, ching, you know, like um, what you call epiphany. And he was fine again. His, his shell shock and his trauma and his was caused by all that cognitive dissonance was all canceled. And then he said, you know, his mission then was to be an anti-war guy. I Hi, kids. Do you like violence? Yeah. Are you sick to death of pussyfooting around the truth while being constantly fed lies by news and big tech tyrants? If so, then come join me, Dan Smots, on The System Is Down, where we get weird, have fun, and dig into all the dangerous taboo topics like conspiracies, politics, religion, culture, current events, and everything your family just prays you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I know that reality is scary to some people, so if you're easily offended, just ignore this and go back to making cat memes or whatever. But if you're ready to change the world for the better, come join me on The System Is Down at tsidpod.com or wherever you get podcasts. That's tsidpod.com. Com because the system is down and truth is taking over. I've known other guys, other soldiers have these problems who then they become, you know, an EMT. I've had, I, I guess, two different guys I know, um, you know, internet friends who they became an EMT. And now that's their job is going around saving people instead of killing them and this kind of thing. That's how they're making up for it. And I think that for the guys that bring our troops home.us, for a lot of them, it's like this is something that they can do. Yeah. You know, because how frustrating is that? Think about I think about how frustrating it is for me to be complaining about the war the whole time and then not like anybody listens and it all goes on anyway. Whatever. Think about 
actually, well, and I forgot, Josh. I know you're you were in the army. I forgot if you were in Navy. you were in Iraq I was, War II, I was, right? I was Navy. Yeah, I was. I'm I'm an Operation Iraqi uh, uh, Freedom veteran, but I but it was yeah. I was uh, shipboard. I was on the Constellation in the battle group that uh, carried oh, out that's the, right. the Shock and Awe campaign. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you told me about that before. Yeah. Um, but I mean, so there are guys who um who've been through some really ugly stuff, and they want something to do about it. And then so here's something that you can do about it. And it's guys who are just like you who are doing something about it and it's helping them. And I'll tell you too, that, you know, like in reference to what you were saying, Michael, about how difficult it is to get this stuff passed. Yeah. Let's get real. You're talking about a state passing a law that says the president can't have the troops when he says he needs them. Unless. I mean, don't get me wrong. Pretty far out shit, you know? Um, So, like we've been working on this for years. I also drafted, if you guys ever heard about the, I know Scott, you have, but the legislation to turn off water in Utah to the NSA, because the NSA can't run those facilities. And when sometimes we think about our work, we got to go for the low hanging fruit. So like we can easily in San Francisco, which actually happened, ban the use of facial recognition by government because we're able to build a coalition for that. But at the same time, we also have to think long-term Rothbard, of course, talked about how the essential thing for the libertarian in the present epic is to set his sights on long run victory and set about the road to its attainment. This is basically a reiteration of, I guess, what is it? Lao Tzu, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. As we've watched things like we see now 35, 36 states define Washington, D.C. on cannabis. And this is actually very this to me is a huge deal. A lot of people say, oh, that that's kind of done with. But back in the 90s and early 2000s, that was a huge deal. It was a very hard thing to to move forward. So now people recognize the states actually can get away with defying Washington, D.C. We're starting to see it expand to other areas. For example, in Missouri and Arizona just this year, they both passed laws that ban the use of state and local resources for the enforcement of federal gun control. So they're going to start taking steps to defy federal gun control. Well, maybe we want to look even bigger picture and think long term. Illinois, when they passed their medical marijuana law a few years ago, it literally took them 10 years. If I could intend, if I knew in my head in 10 years, I could find a state that was going to resist the feds on empire, whether it's releasing the troops or maybe the state of North Carolina, which was completely Implicit in the CIA, the the taxi, the the torture taxis, if you guys recall that, the rendition of people to black sites, that was a partnership between the CIA and state and local public owned airports and uh, and actually a, a small government run airline out of North Carolina. And why couldn't we ban them from participating in those things as well? And each of these steps leads to another step and to another step and to another step. And it keeps growing. That pun is intended going back to the weed issue. But we have to think long term and recognize that we're not going to stop the largest empire in world history in one fell swoop. But if we think big picture and long term and continue pushing forward, we're going to get there. So I, I actually see defend the guard as being probably the hardest state level nullification style bill to get passed but i think it's the most important and that's why i put a lot of effort to it yeah and listen i mean i've seen in person when these guys testify in favor of this legislation 
it may not be enough to get the um well they've gotten it through committee a few times at least anyway yep um it might not be enough to get it through the full house yet but it's impressive man it's a big deal when, when you know um when i testified at the at the hearing in texas and i didn't do very well i gave the same speech the same uh spiel i given to a bunch of republican state senators in montana they loved it the montana guys they loved it. they passed their legislation it was a resolution demanding the repeal of the AUMF and that passed. And they said it was partly due to my influence and boy, they love what I had to say. So then I said the same stuff to the Texas guys and they're like, man, fuck, man. <laughs> a bunch of Democrats. But, um, there's this guy named, uh, I'm almost certain it's Brian Sharp who came and says, uh, yeah, I'm an officer from West point. And they're all like, oh my God, oh my God, a guy yeah. from West Point, wh what do you have to say? And he's like, well, Daniel Webster said that this is all a bunch of bullshit. And they're like, oh my God, Daniel Webster, really? A guy from West Point said that Daniel Webster said that? Huh? And he cited Webster. That's great. That was his speech against, uh, he basically, Webster, this is an 1814 speech. He specifically said one of the reasons that the state governments exist is to interpose between their citizens and arbitrary power over their militia. So Webster was basically making the case for the Defend the Guard Act today. If the right. state governments aren't protecting liberty from federal overreach, we think uh, it's supposed to be the other way around. But if the state governments aren't doing that, they have no reason to be doing anything, is what yeah. Daniel Webster is saying, especially when it comes to war power. So side note, that's pretty awesome that someone yeah. brought that up. Yeah. Well, and those guys, and in the larger context of, uh, well, I'm the one who invented it, but Michael's the one who named it the Horton rule attack the right from the right. And so get up there. And if, if the worst Hawks on the committee are conservatives who think support the troops means definitely not obstruct the president's will, if he wants to do something with them, um, if they can be shown that, wow, here's a bunch of right leaning war veterans yeah. Who say otherwise, you know, uh, after a few years of this, it's going to start working. You know, I saw the way that these guys were and, you know, it's just like with anything else. Some guy gets up there and goes, look, I was in the war. Everybody shuts up and listens. No matter what yeah. the guy has to say, he gets that extra respect. So then you got a bunch of guys who, you know, frankly, a lot of these guys look straight out of the G.I. Joe package or whatever. It's not like they grew their hair long, like born on the 4th of July and moved left and are talking about we need that government money for schools or, you know, whatever. Um, they're still libertarians and conservatives and they and they look like it and talk like it. And then they get up there and go, I was in the war and it was horrible and it was a lie and it was unfair and it was wrong. And the state should have protected me. And so now you better protect the next guy. And, you know, I saw them be taken very seriously talking that way. And, you know, I think in Maine, they failed by like one vote. It was the yep. one guy. Who oh, that was it was really close in Maine, that that vote. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is not bullshit, man. And then again, even swinging and missing, it's fine because at least we're showing up the narrative. The, the groundwork is being laid that people know. I'll give you, uh, sorry, one more example off of this. I meant to say earlier, more important example of this. PBS NewsHour showed up and mm. did like a 10-minute report on this in the gravest tones. And they took Dan McKnight as seriously as you would have demanded that they take him. You know, it was perfect. It was unbelievable.
They're like, look, these guys are veterans of the wars. Right. And they say there's a real problem here. And it's just, damn it, it's a good narrative, man. You can't really mess with this. Dan McKnight says he's got a problem. You have to live, you have to listen. Sure. You know, he's earned it. He was over there fighting in the Petch Valley. That means that if he has something to say about the war, that he has he gets a chance. Lord knows if he was pro-war, they'd let him talk. And but now, I mean, this is working. Yep. And you should see everybody go back and watch that on the PBS News Hour where they I talk just posted about a link to it in the chat. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I mean, I they see that. take it as seriously as hell. I mean, it's really yep. was great to see. And then so imagine if we just got one or two of those passed. We will. It's just going to take the point is it's going to a lot of people when they start doing activism, especially if it's on a state level, what they do is they bust their ass for like six months, one year, maybe two, and then they're Burn done. Well, I mentioned this Missouri. It's called the Second Amendment Preservation Act. We kind of initiated this thing as well. It bans the state from participating basically in most any federal gun control. We're talking about a National Firearms Act of 1934, Gun Control Act of 68, undetectable firearms, blah, blah, blah. All of it shouldn't exist. But Missouri is taking probably the first the biggest steps ever against federal gun control in modern history. But it took us eight years. We went at this bill eight years in a row and if someone would have told me after year one oh it's going to take another seven eight years i'd be say okay let's do it but a lot of people don't have that long-term fortitude sure. and we really have to start thinking about that because if we're thinking on a federal election level okay we're going to vote for this guy and then that guy and then this guy and then that guy and then this guy and then that guy and then 20 years later there's they're bombing everybody on earth I mean, I read this um, a cost of war project from Brown University that said just from 2018 to 2020, there were counterterrorism actions in 85 countries around the world. I usually think just like Libya, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Yemen, Somalia, I, some of the main ones that a lot of people don't even know about, but 85 countries. But let's say you could actually have an impact on that over a five or a 10 year plan. I know a lot of people who get into crypto, for example, start thinking about Bitcoin. Well, where's it going to be in five years? They're long term thinking about finances, but not long term when it comes to thinking about ending the wars. And they're not going to end by begging them to be ended. They're going to end through resistance. That's the only way government ever gives up their own power, in my view. Sure. Hey, uh, before before we move on to this last topic, I, I want to just address some of the super chats. Thanks, TJ Fitzsimmons. Thanks, Derek Slight. Jermaine Vincent uh, said enough already was one of the best books I read in the last couple of years. Major props, Scott Horton. Uh, amazing show tonight. Thank you. Uh, cigars and sing arms. Scott, I'm illiterate and lazy. When will enough already be out on Audible? <laughs> Man, I'm working on it. I, I swear to God, I finished recording it and I have edited uh, like three or four sections so i am getting to work on the editing now and then i gotta send it to my audio guy to do all his magic and make it sound right and then so it's gonna still be a couple of months man it's gonna take me forever to edit it's like fucking a it lot. must be 10 hours long or no i mean fool's errand was nine hours long and that was all with footnotes in there same page numbers so i'm gonna say um this is probably like 11 hours long wow so it's gonna take me a while to edit all those perfect for a long car out. ride you know uh man forest mommy says because uh, yeah, i'll tell you what when i was reading it out loud i was like son of a bitch god i hate george bush so much <laughs> we all oh. do buddy we all do uh, like, 
my book works on me still, and I wrote this so good and read it a hundred times already. So, uh, Forrest Mommy says, "Thank you, Scott, for being so engaging and easy to learn from." Uh, Warren Dent says, "Does Michael have GIK acoustic panels in your room?" I do that. I love whoever would ask that. I got about a half dozen of these. Best there in Atlanta. They're the best acoustic panel on earth. Nice. Uh, level zero through five dollars super chat said, uh, I can already tell this is going to be one, a, a great one. Can we make this two hours? I don't, Scott doesn't have time tonight, unfortunately. I'm sorry. Yeah, I gotta go. Uh, Tim Dryden. Great panel. Thank you. Phoebe said, great show. Any thoughts on these anarchists unironically supporting DeSantis's proof of vax passports? Okay. So this is good. Cause this is what I wanted to get into for our, our last, uh, really segment here. Um, so, so DeSantis is outlawing uh, vax the 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 proof of vax ban. It's a vo- pr- a proof of vax ban. So they're actually banning uh, businesses from asking for proof of a vaccine, and it's uh, it split the anarchist community. It split the libertarian community pretty pretty bigly. Uh, as wait, far wait. as what I okay, understand. I'm out of the loop. Hold on. Did you say a centralized government? program yes to ban all businesses from making Correct. a choice has split Correct. the anarchist community yes. i thought anarchists hated government all around i think i think uh i th- so if maybe maybe you know maybe some people are i may anarchist. just be out of the loop i'm also i'm one of those people so this is how i look at it and and how i'm going to continue to look at it uh and, unless someone can change my mind um these these people that want that okay so these businesses businesses don't want to implement in, implement a vax passport not in florida you know what I mean? Because they're going to lose ha- half their business. So, so, so they're being basically forced by the government to do this in in, some, in a lot of states, especially states like New York, California. They are but Florida, but but not in Florida. And and in fact, okay, DeSantis has banned has banned these these vax passports, right? But in places like California, New York, we see the government is pushing the businesses to do this. The businesses probably probably allegedly would not do this on their own. So, so DeSantis has said no. So, so these people in these governments and the people who support these governments are happy to see my business trashed, my family smashed, uh, me not be able to take care of uh, things. But then when uh, governors start saying, hey, we're going to ban this, this mandate bullshit, uh, we're not going to do that, they want me to feel bad for them. So it's hard for me. To feel bad. I mean, there's already all these tyrannical bull. That sounds policies. like another layer, though, dude. Right. So that's that's what I that's what I want to get your guys your thought, especially because you're the legislation guy. Uh, I hate government. <laughs> I hate the antichrist. Sorry. So I get it. I'm the I same don't way. like. I don't like. I don't want government. <laughs> I don't want government. We live in the largest government in the history of the world. Sure. The U.S. government. I mean, we hear so much about how we got to protect from the Chinese. The U.S. Federal government spends about seven and a half to eight and a half times what the communist government does in China per year with what, like a third of the population. I don't want the empire protecting me from anybody. I'm over it. I'm just sick of it. I mean, I guess uh, there probably could be cases to be made about how they're going to do this right and that. But until their power is so restricted, probably not in my lifetime, that I'm okay with them trying things out and making mistakes, I'm not into it ever in any situation. Sure. Yeah, and, and, I mean, you know, it's, go ahead, it's, just a, it's just a simple issue of property rights. You own a business, you own a piece of property, or you hold a legitimate lease on the piece of property, you get to decide who can come and who can go. Uh, and even if they're you know, stupid and they go your along, stupid criteria is you know. Yeah, let's matter. let's say they're going along with government pressure. 
Okay. I mean, if government is pressuring them, that's one thing. Now, I think there's a there's actually a different issue that we're facing here, and I'm not really in on what's going on in Florida. But if you're describing it to me that the governor is doing an executive order and telling uh, businesses, not localities, that they can't have a ban, but businesses that they can't, and we have to do that because too many businesses are on board with it or something, well, maybe there's an education problem and maybe we should be focusing on getting government out of education so people can actually be smarter about their choices <laughs> and recognize that if you run a business, you want as many customers as possible. You don't want to exclude 40 to 45% of them. That's not smart. Or maybe the market will just work this shit out. Like as businesses voluntarily do this, there's going to be other businesses that say, Screw it. I was watching my uh, buddy, Robert Scott Bell, who's a uh, very uh, pro-choice when it comes to vax. He does like five, six days a week on YouTube. And he was interviewing this kind of like a 40-year-old Italian restaurant in Brooklyn about how they were, you know, they're getting pressure. They don't want to like, they were talking about how, well, we didn't discriminate against anybody in the 70s and 80s during the early days of gay rights in New York. Why are we going to discriminate for people who choose not to get a vaccine today? And of course, in New York, that's going to be a very difficult thing to pull off. But I think more and more, maybe we should start pushing that direction, more of an agorist approach or thought process uh, in trying to support the businesses that support freedom and they'll learn through the dollar that this is how you do it. Sure. So, yeah, I so like that. I oh. did you guys see the, the French people were picnicking out in the street, out in front of the restaurants that were demanding vaccine passports? No. They're like, well, we'll just eat out front of your empty restaurant. Screw you. Yeah, that's great. No, but so I mean, well, here's the extra layer. They want to do. Okay, so this is the this is the extra layer, and I think that a lot of people aren't taking this into account. So this is where some of my argument comes from. In Florida, there are localities that wanted to mandate these things. They wanted to mandate. Oh, that's separate. Yeah, yeah I mean, they wanted, I'm not into that either. For the same reason. They wanted to mandate the the vax passports in certain localities. Uh, I think I think the Miami area and some other places, but uh, they wanted to 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 implement a. a, a a mask mandate in some of these localities and DeSantis basically said, no, you can't do that. It wasn't just because of the restaurants themselves. And I think that's getting lost in the translation with a lot of people on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, okay. Maybe I'm reading it wrong right. now uh, under a state constitution, probably in Florida from my understanding right. of it, or I've looked into like sanctuary issues in Florida in the past, the governor actually can by executive order, uh, you know, tell localities they can or can't do stuff. Right. That doesn't mean I necessarily want centralized power or anything, but under the law, they probably could. Now, if he's actually trying to implement that on privately run businesses, I'm not cool with right. it. So, I wouldn't be cool with it on anything. I don't know. Yeah, but him I haven't stopping, actually read him the bill. Stopping counties and cities from from having their own smaller mandates right. i think is appropriate right and probably. that's and that's what that's you know i think that's what's getting lost in the translation and the argument on twitter is that he is trying to stop certain localities from going you know above and beyond what they're doing in the state uh but they did the same thing with crt in florida too and i don't think people remember this that the, there were cer certain localities that were trying to implement crt into the school from the school boards and stuff and he he Hit outlawed me. that too but go go ahead mike Okay, so let's say, and I agree that I don't want mandates, pro or con, on any of this stuff anywhere. And I live in downtown Los Angeles, 
where there was a 13 to zero vote to send it to the city attorney, Mike Foyer, who's a piece of shit, to draft up a vaccine passport law for the city council to vote on. And if it actually goes to vote, it will pass. Now, mind you, Foyer is also the same guy who said when there were 1,200 weed dispensaries in Los Angeles, all operating outside of both state and federal law some years ago. He said he was going to shut them all down, and I think he shut down about 30 of those. So I don't think they're going to be able to pull that type of thing off. I don't even know where I'm going anymore. I think (laughs) my – oh, right. I got it. I was raising my hand. So let's say I like the idea of of the central power, the far off guy telling the smaller local government, you can't do this. But I got to go back to what I was talking about in the early part when I was referencing Harry Brown. Whatever power you give them to do something you liked today can be used by someone else in the future. So if DeSantis is has the power to tell localities what they can and can't do won't a future governor also have that same power and how are they going to use it and in what situation? I think we have to think big picture. Maybe it sounds good in the short term, but if we don't zoom out a little bit and think what it's going to look like on the right further further down the line, we're making a big mistake. Sure. What, what's your thoughts on that, Scott? You think it's okay for the, uh, for, for the governor to tell the locales that well, they can't implement these mandates? You know, some of these arguments um, – kind of depend on all other things being equal to what yes. level right like i i presume it's the same in florida as it is in texas where it's, the texas constitution is supreme and if the texas legislature wanted to abolish a city jurisdiction they could just abolish it the, the you know the um the way the states kind of call the federal government into being the counties do not call the state governments into being in that way. They're really the state government constitutions are what decides the shape of all of those things lower down. So just my personal preference, I guess, would be the governor should be a ceremonial position or whatever, <laughs> right? Like I want these guys to all have as little power as possible. Sure. But I guess I'm just saying all other things being equal, I presume it's probably already within his power to yeah, for example, counties to... cannot violate people's rights if they are trying to pass a law that is deemed to be violating the Constitution or something like that, then but hell if I know, I don't I don't really know what the Florida Constitution says. They can Florida. even they can even in the Florida Constitution, if a sheriff isn't following state law, like let's say they a sheriff wanted to do like a Second Amendment sanctuary type of thing or a gun rights sanctuary and not enforce Florida level gun control. There is a process. I think it has to go through the state Senate, but initiated by the governor. They can actually just kick the sheriff out of office. It's not something that really happens. This county, you know, yes, yes. They're all political court that hired him. It's called their political subdivisions of the state. So the the local governments, even home rule, they still exist at the will of the state government. It's totally opposite of how the federal government is the creature of the states. Yep. So. But look, I mean, so yeah, all other things being equal, if the guy's stopping cities and counties from forcing people to go along with these things, then I'm cool with that. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. Stopping private businesses. You know, the same thing comes up uh, on guns, where I think this was in Texas. They passed a law to protect the right of business owners to tell their employees you can't bring guns to work. 
And there were gun rights lobbyists who went all crazy and said that, no, uh, what about the right to bear arms? And it's like, look, I'm sorry, you just don't understand how this works, right? The right to bear arms is sort of subsidiary from that same property right that the owner of the business has to exercise to decide whether he wants to bear arms if he has to, to force your ass off of that property and based on whether you violate the rules as he sets them up or not. So what you think is your right to bear arms is really your right to protect your property, which is the right that your boss is exercising and telling you that you're not allowed to bring a gun to work. That should be pretty easy. But there are people who just go, no, I'm a gun guy, so I'm against that. Right. Well, you got to think these things through a little bit. So, you know, um, but look, in the broader sense, I think the libertarian war against all the medical tyranny stuff is, you know, excellent. It's, it's essentially an issue set up by them to be made for us. And as bad as the liberals and Democrats are on it, the Republicans are only a little bit better. <laughs> And so, or, or maybe even where they're quite a bit better, they could still use an attack, you know, from the right kind of thing about how they ain't good enough and they need to be even better than that. And that we need to lead, um, you know, the, the society's strong reaction against these policies sure. that they just, you know what, like, what if we got, speaking of defend the guard legislation stuff, what if we could get some constitutional amendments introduced in some of these states where no governor is ever allowed of this state is ever allowed to do that again? Right. That would be amazing. Some severe reaction. What kind of message does that send? Yeah. We know we did the opposite here in Iowa. Kim Reynolds uh, actually passed. They passed legislation uh, outlawing the mass mandate here. uh, And uh, only the governor can can uh, fix, redo it and and make another mass mandate. (laughs) They went the opposite. So can I just get a can I get a quick clarification in Florida? The ban is on localities, not on that's, private businesses. That's, that's what I. That's okay. what I. That's what I uh, thought. I'd have to go back and read it again. Okay. But so that's that was the uh, that was the. I think that was the big breakdown. And this was actually a really cool thought experiment because, you know, it's it's not okay for government to tell businesses how to run businesses. Boom. We yeah. can all agree on that as libertarians. But it is okay for the government to tell the government that they can't require things from <laughs> from businesses that are mandated. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm go. all in. I- Obviously, I'm a Tenth Amendment guy. I'm all in on government standing up against government, using them, make them battle with each other a little bit. That gives us a little wedge issue to be able to get a foot in the door to advance some liberty. So that can be a good strategy. I just, I guess I don't really know how it's playing out in Florida. Yeah. I'm sorry, boys. I got to go. Okay, Mr. Horton. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. Much love, Scott. Thank you. Good to see you. Great to see you both again. Yep. Brother, you want to do a, you want to do a members only stream for a little bit? You got some time? I thought this whole thing was members only. <laughs> no, this is this is the this is the public stream, man. The, the next one's where oh, you get to shit. take your shirt off. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm wearing this thing. <laughs> well, hey, man. Uh, before we leave the public stream, I, guys, go check out uh, go check out Scott Horton at the Libertarian Institute, and of course, is he an- amazing. He's just I love that dude. Dude, he's just absolutely fantastic. But uh, yeah. Where, where can people find you and support you and, and listen to you and all that great stuff, Boltron? <laughs> what? Just on Break the Cycle with Joshua Smith every few months. <laughs> we tried. Just stick around. I will be back. We tried once, uh, and the hotel did not have good enough Wi-Fi for me to uh, to, to live stream. And then we got it done, and now I've had an episode so with someone you. So and- yeah. someone says in the chat, 
Phobis. I'm not sure if I'm saying this right. Fe that the Phoebus. What is it? Uh, let's see. They just they just broke it down for me. Uh, it's pronounced it's like phobia and with a BZ. Okay. Phobies. Phobies. It's on businesses and localities. So I don't know. I'm not mm. into the I'm not into the forcing freedom on people type of thing. And I think I recognize that most people on Earth don't like liberty or they're afraid of it. Maybe they I think it's mostly they're afraid of it. They think that the more free people are, the more that they can defend themselves, their home, their property, their country, their state with military grade weapons. I'm not just talking about constitutional carry, because if you have to get permission to be able to exercise your rights. It's not a right. It's a privilege. It's a permission slip. Right. So I think most people are afraid. They think if you have a uh, free market in healthcare, there's going to be millions of people dying in the streets. If you have, uh, you know, freedom in the right to keep and bear arms, everyone's going to get shot and destroyed. Or if you have freedom on anything. So I think the bigger issue that we face is not just getting the right government people to tell other people what they can and cannot do i think we're faced with a much bigger picture long-term issue which is uh teaching people samuel adams if i want to cite one of those guys back in october of 1771 in the boston gazette he said the truth is all might be free and it's a one-two punch if they ate if they valued freedom and defended it as they ought so not only do we we have to actually teach people that freedom, that liberty is better. It has better outcomes, but they have to understand how to defend it. And I think the latter part, very few people understand. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, you know, I agree. I just, what are we I, talking about? I, I'll have to look, I'll have to look at the uh, legislation again, but I was pretty sure if somebody could link the legislation to me, that'd be great. When I looked at it before, I was, I was almost positive. It was on localities from requiring businesses to do so. So and Tyler and, Bratton says, I just need to invent personal self-defense drones. Yeah, that's awesome. I That'll be a thing. At some point, someone will be defending their property, uh, defending their property. With, God, that's I hope so. Exercise your right to keep and bear arms. You've got your own airspace above you. I mean, I'm sure no, I'm sure the government people aren't going to like that. Let me uh, hold on one second. Let me let me uh, address this. Dr. Jiggly Wiggly five dollar super chat. Thanks, man. Uh, he said enough already is one of the most informative and angering books I've read. Thanks, Scott. Sorry, I didn't get that one before Scott left. Um, let's see. Let me pronounce this right. OK, because I'm doing it wrong, uh, apparently. And let me hold on. Broke it down. It's like phobia with a with a BZ vote. Phobes. Phobies. Phobies. Phobias. Phobies? Oh, I'm gonna. I'm terrible. Phoebes? Phoebes? I'm maybe? going phobies. Phobies. Phoebes? Maybe. I don't know. Phobies? Mm. Phoebes? Uh, okay. But uh, they said, uh, oh, in this. Let's see. Oh, in the same bill, uh, DeSantis signed gives the state health office carte blanche to vaccinate literally anyone. Hmm. Mm. That's scary. If you're not a vaccine guy. Right. Well, carte blanche is a pretty broad term. I mean, a lot of this stuff, I, I think when I was talking about the TSA earlier, and we, I think we can all agree here that the TSA is one of the most reviled organizations on the face of the earth. No one should like the TSA. It never should have existed. But really, it's almost laughable to think no one would have agreed like 
the George Bush, you know, you're either with us or you're with the terrorist Republicans back in the day and de- Democrats, I guess, too, at the time. No one would have ever thought you were anything but off your rocker to suggest, well, if they do this, you'll eventually have a public-private partnership company like Clear enforcing vaccine passports at restaurants in two decades. Sure. Everyone would have thought you were just wacko. So it is important to kind of look in this stuff and see how they're using the legislation because ingenious politicians will always come up with ingenious reasons to expand power under something that we thought was going to be good. George Washington in his farewell address, he specifically said, you know, this is one of the ways that free government is destroyed. If there's, I mean, it might be an oxymoron to even say such a thing. But if you're going to have freedom, just allowing them some power to do things that you may think are good, if they aren't authorized to do that in the first place, you shouldn't do it. Right. So I don't know. I don't know. I would have to read that legislation. And I'm not super well, like Scott was talking about, too, on the Florida state constitution. And I definitely wouldn't want to make that a federal issue because those people are monsters. Yeah, always, constantly. They never do anything good. Literally ever. Tie the extra out. Okay. What? Okay. Oh, they're talking no, about they're talking talk about beer about? in the chat. Uh, listen. Oh, because I brought up Samuel Adams. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Listen, listen. We're gonna we're gonna start this members only chat, brother. But before oh. we before we close this chat, uh, tell the people where they can find you, how they can support you, and listen to you and Tenth Amendment Center and all that great stuff. TenthAmendmentCenter.com. There's about twelve thousand articles, blogs, and podcasts that have been there since mid two thousand six. It is the biggest resource of. That Samuel Adams talked about basically a how to understand the way things are supposed to be under the Constitution. That's part of what we do. And then the other part is how to resist federal overreach, the largest government in the history of the world, how to advance liberty, whether the government people want us to or not. Sure. Sure. Well, I definitely amendmentcenter.com all spelled out. I, I appreciate your work and you and uh, your friendship and all that great stuff, Mr. Bolden. Uh, if you could just give me about two minutes to close out the stream, we'll get the members only stream started. Cool. I'm in. All right. Thanks, brother. All right, guys. Wow. What an awesome show, man. That was uh, information flying at you all fast. Him and uh, Michael and Scott are just two of my favorite people in the whole movement. So definitely go follow them and their work and support them and do everything that you can to bolster their work. Uh, It's very important to our movement and liberty and our future and freedom for our children. So um, do everything you can to support those guys. Uh, Also, if you want to come and check out the uh, members only stream right after this, uh, for however long Michael Bolden can go for, uh, him and I will be in there chatting. You can pay $6 a month. You get all the members only streams live right here on YouTube. Uh, I have anywhere between 15 and, and an hour long, uh, members only is with every show, uh, for like the last 40 shows. So there's a lot of content there, uh, that you can get for six bucks a month. If you guys want to check it out since we do five shows a week, um, or you can join the Patreon or subscribe star, uh, to get them uploaded the next day or the day after, depending on how soon I can get them uploaded. Um, and some other swag, you get into the pri- private discord server where you get a, uh, you get all the top lobster gear, brand new stuff, uh, before it goes to general pop public at like 30% off. So good stuff. But while I'm talking about them, go check out top uh, for all your wonderful graphic design needs like this great Epstein didn't kill himself shirt that I'm wearing tonight. Uh, you can get everything there for 10% discount by using BTC at checkout, or you can do all the stuff that I just talked about and get all of his new stuff much cheaper. Of course, executive producer of the show, anthemplanning.com for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. Uh, 
please check them out. See what they can do for your business, home, or uh, personal life. They're doing a wonderful job that the government has historically sucked at much cheaper and much more efficiently. Guys, I'm doing a special show on Sunday evening at 7.30 p.m. Corn time. That's central time if you haven't been paying attention to my show. Uh, I'm going to have Shane and Nico from the Hopitarians on. It's going to be pretty awesome. You're definitely Hapitarians. I always say it wrong. It's it's. I don't know why it's so hard to pronounce, but uh, they're amazing. It's going to be a really good show. I'm very excited. Uh, we will have six shows next week, including a very special show on Thursday for my 100th episode. I hope you guys can check it out. I will see you on Sunday for the show with Shane and Nico. But until then, don't forget to break the cycle. Have to explain the lyrics of my last song may seem to contain a violent call to action in the person the frame, but I just spent it in Minecraft. The helicopter part was in reference to GTA 5 and the things you do. So when any violence you commit, I am not an excuse because I just spent it in Minecraft. But Chipper is my friend and he's constantly cold Accusations of incitement getting totally old Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just landed in Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate force Unless it's due process and a trial, of course And if you're convicted, we will make you a corpse In Minecraft, just in Minecraft There's nothing I mean, you know it The product is getting close to COVID 